This mission is very similar to the previous one, and the case under discussion is where somebody is baking bread, and there is an obligation when one needs the dough to separate a portion of the dough and designate it as challah. Challah is one of the gifts that one needs to give to a koyain, and its status in terms of its sanctity and with regards to the laws of impurity is pretty much the same as truma which is the portion of one's produce that he needs to give to a koyain. And that means that it's forbidden to allow it to become tome, and it can become tome up to a level of a shlishi tumor, which is three levels lower down than a primary avatumor level. And that means that a tvul yoim, who has a pretty much similar level to a shenil tumor, would be able to make the chala tome as a shlishi tumor. That having been said, until a portion of the dough has been designated and declared as chala, even though it's going to be a part of this very dough that is going to be declared as chala, until that happens, all of the dough is not considered to be sanctified at all. And it would not be able to become tome as a shlishi l'tumah. A kneading bowl that is a tvul yoim, which means that the kneading bowl itself had become tome and the person had submerged it fully in a mikvah in order to purify it, but we're still waiting until the end of that day arrives for even this last remnant of impurity to leave that utensil. The Mishnah says, Loshen Boisa Issa, one is able to knead the dough in that kneading bowl, even though it's forbidden to allow Chala to become Tomei, since it's not yet been declared as Chala, so none of the dough is going to become Tomei, even if it does have direct contact with the bowl. The Koitzimimen of Chala, and then one should cut a part of the dough off, and that's the part which is going to be declared as Chala, and before declaring it as Chala, Umakefes, the woman who is baking the dough, the mission is talking in the feminine form, it's just the classic example, because it would usually be the woman who is make- baking the bread, she should bring that portion of dough that she's about to declare as challah to be close to the rest of the dough. Because when one separates tithes or challah on behalf of the rest of the produce or the rest of the dough, the part that is being declared as the tithe needs to be adjacent to the rest of the produce on which it's being declared for. So she should bring it close for Kohen Lashem and then she should declare it as challah. And all that she needs to be careful about is that the piece of challah will not touch the kneading bowl again once it's been declared as challah. Now there's not such a concern about this. In the previous Mishnah, where the woman herself was the Tvulas Yoim, she was the one who has the ability to make the Chala Tomei. Over there, there exists a larger concern that she might touch the dough, and because of that, the Mishnah required that she only, that she placed the Chala dough on a dish that is not able to become Tomei, just in order to remind her that she needs to be careful about not touching the Chala. But over here, that she herself is pure, and it's only the kneading bowl that is Tomei, there's less of a concern that she's that the kneading bowl is going to come into contact with that piece of dough that's been declared as challah, and therefore there is no need to place it on this special utensil that is not able to become Tomei, because we're not con- so concerned that's going to happen. Be it as it may, the Mishnah ends off by explaining why is it that we are able to knead the dough in that bowl before declaring it as challah, because the impurity that is going to come from the 
Tomei kneading bowl is going to be on the level of a shlishi l'tumah, and that level of a shlishi l'tumah is considered to be totally pure as far as unsanctified food is concerned, and before the challah has been declared, all of the dough has not got sanctity. If there is a smallish barrel or bottle, which is a tvulyoim, it was tome and it has been submerged in a mikveh, and until the end of that day, it still has a remnant of impurity that could make truma or other sanctified food or liquid tome as a shlishilatuma. Umil ohuminechovis meister tevel, and somebody filled up that bottle with wine that comes from a barrel of Meiserishon wine, from which Trumas Meiser has not yet been separated. Meiserishon is a tenth of one's produce that he is obligated to designate and give over to a levy, and once the levy receives that, he is obligated to separate a tenth of that Meiser and declare it to be Trumas Meiser, which is a gift that the levy gives to a Kohen. So again, a tenth of the produce is Meiserishon, and a tenth of that is Trumas Meiser. And it's the Trumas Meiser that has sanctity and is considered to be like regular Truma, and would thus not be allowed to become Tomei, which means that in this case, we're not able to just declare that wine to be Truma, because then it would immediately become Tomei from the bottle in which it is in. The bottle is a Tvulyoim. So the solution to that would be to wait until the evening, but in certain cases, for example, if it's Friday afternoon and it's forbidden to separate tithes on Shabbos, so the person would want to already now make the declaration, but in a way that it only will take hold on Shabbos itself, and that way he would solve both problems. He would be able to consume the wine on Shabbos, because it would have been tithed already, and at the same time, he would not have allowed that Trumas Meiser to become Tomei, because once the night time arrives, so the bottle loses all of its Tumor, and if it's at that point that it becomes Trumas Meiser, so then it won't be a problem, because it's now in a bottle that is not Tomei. And we're talking about a case where he is separating all of that wine which is in the bottle as Trumus Meiser on behalf of the rest of the wine that is in the barrel still. The Mishnah says, Im Omar, If he said that the wine that's in this bottle should be Trumus Meiser, I'm declaring it to be Trumus Meiser, and I want this to take a hold only once it gets dark, once the next day at, ni- at nightfall begins. The Mishnah says that this declaration is totally valid, and Heiser Trumas Meiser, it would indeed become Trumas Meiser at nightfall, and he would be able to consume the wine in the rest of the barrel, because now, now, now that wine has been tithed. Now, the Mishnah goes a bit sidetracked now to talk about the concept of a Ruvei Tchumen. On Shabbos, it's forbidden for a person to travel, even if he's traveling just by foot, a distance of more than 2,000 Amas in any particular direction. So we're talking roughly around a kilometer, 3,000 feet or so, and this means a distance of 2,000 Amas from his place of living, from the place where it's considered to be his residence for the duration of Shabbos. And this generally depends on where he is situated when Shabbos begins. And if he's inside of a city, so that means that the entire city is considered to be his place of residence. So you would only start measuring the 2,000 Amas from the edge of the city. Be it as it may, by saying that he's got 2,000 Amas in every direction essentially means that he's got 4,000 Amas of travel from one direction to another, from one side to another. So that he's situated in the middle of that 4,000 Amas. 
The concept of a rivet chumin allows one to place a food item, a meal, at the edge of his tchum, so let's say within 2,000 amas of his place of residence, and he needs to make sure that it is there as Shabbos begins. And that's a way of defining his place of residence as where the food is. Now this means that he would be able to travel from where he is situated, assuming he placed the Erevei Tuchumen, these food items, just under a tiny bit less than, it has to be within 2,000 Amas, so let's say a tiny bit less than 2,000 Amas from his city. He would now be able to travel 4,000 Amas from his city in the direction of the food, the Erevei Tuchumen, and onwards from the Erevei Tuchumen. He would have 2,000 Amas towards the Erevei Tuchumen, and then 2,000 Amas from there onwards. So he's not gaining any more room to travel on Shabbos, he's just changing where exactly the 4,000 Amas are going to be. Instead of being 2,000 Amas in one direction and 2,000 Amas in the other one, he's making it that he's got 4,000 Amas in the same direction. This is the basic concept of Erevei Tuchumen, and the way that it works is that the food must be in that location where he wants his place of residence to be considered to be there, it has to be there as Shabbos is beginning. As well as that, it's got to be food that is considered to be a meal that is fit to be eaten. And it's not good enough that once Shabbos has already started, it's food that is fit to be eaten. It must be that as Shabbos is beginning, which is really the moments before the end of the day on Friday, already then it's got to be fit to be eaten. And because of that, in Omar Harze Erev, if he said about the bottle of wine that we were talking about earlier on in this Mishnah, that he wants that to be considered his Erev, and he places it at the edge of his 2,000 Amas. The Mishnah says, Le Omar Klum, he hasn't said anything, this would not work for his Erev, because his declaration was that it should become Trumas Meiser once Shabbos has already started. Which means that at the beginning of Shabbos, sort of at the end of Friday, which is when we need it to be proper food that he would be able to eat, it is not fit to be eaten because it's essentially wine which hasn't yet been tithed, that's forbidden to eat such wine. And that's why the Mishnah says that this would not be valid as an Erev. Likewise, while we're on the topic, the Mishnah says, Nishbrohechovis, if the large barrel of wine broke before the end of the day, so by the time we reach nightfall, when the bottle of wine is supposed to become Trumas Meiser on behalf of the wine that was in the barrel, so now there's no longer any wine in the barrel, so it's not going to become Trumas Meiser because it's got nothing to be Trumas Meiser on. So how long in Betivloi, the wine that is in the bottle remains Tevel, it remains untithed, and he would need to go ahead and take a portion of that wine and separate it, designate it as Trumas Meiser on behalf of the rest of the wine that's in that bottle. On a similar note, Nishbar Halogin, if the wine in the bottle, if the, if the bottle broke, so that means that the when it reaches nightfall, the barrel of wine will, will remain untithed because the wine that was supposed to become Trumas Meisa on behalf of the wine in the barrel no longer exists. It's spilt out. So we need to separate some more wine from the barrel and declare that to be Trumas Meiser. Mishnah Hey, the next two Mishnahis are not related to the main topic of this Masechta. It's just because of a statement that we're going to see at the end of the next Mishnah. That's why the Mishnah is going slightly sidetracked, even though it has not really got anything to do with the general idea of the Masechta. Originally, the Chachomim ruled that Machalin al one is able to redeem his Maiseshemi onto an Amha'aretz's produce. An Amha'aretz is somebody who is ignorant, 
And the Mishnah is referring to the concept of redeeming Maishasheni. Maishasheni is a tenth of one's produce, which during certain years, depending on which year it is, there are different tithes that need to be separated. And there are certain years during which one needs to separate a tenth of his produce, and instead of giving it as a gift to a Koyen or a Levi or a poor person... He actually is obligated to bring it up to Yerushalayim and then eat it himself. He would eat that produce himself and with his family, he would share it. But he's obligated to bring it up to Yerushalayim. Now, there would possibly be loads and loads of produce that he has. A tenth of the produce that grew that year could be a tremendous amount and it would be very difficult to bring it up to Yerushalayim. However, there existed an option of redeeming the a tenth of his produce onto money and then the money would gain the sanctity of the Maishasheni, and he would bring the money up to Yerushalayim, and then he would spend that on new produce when he arrived in Yerushalayim, and that new produce would gain that sanctity from the money. But the money must be spent on chulin produce, produce that has been tithed and is permitted to be eaten. The point of the mission is that we are able to assume that the Amoretz, this person who is ignorant of many of the tithing laws, it can be assumed that his produce is nevertheless tithed when one has money in Yerushalayim and he wants to spend it on that produce, he's able to safely assume that it has been tithed. However, when it comes to originally redeeming the Maishasheni produce, a tenth of the produce which he has back at home, and he redeems that onto money in order to bring up the money to Yerushalayim, the money which was owned by an Oretz, we cannot redeem the produce onto because there is a concern that that money might be Maishasheni money itself, and one needs to redeem the produce onto money that has not got any sanctity to it yet. And for whatever reason, the Chacham were more concerned about the uh, the, the money that belongs to an Amharit, that possibly it is Maishasheni money, more so than they were concerned about the produce. However, later on, Chazuloyma and the Chachamim reverted, and they ruled differently that Af al even the money that is owned by an Amoretz, one is able to safely assume is not sanctified and he would be able to redeem his produce, the Maishasheni produce, onto the money. Another example of something that originally was ruled in one way and later on they changed, originally the Chachomim said, with regards to a man who is divorcing his wife, there is a requirement that the get, the document that's being used to divorce her, be written by the husband, or at least that he command and instruct somebody to write it. And if he's not the one who himself gives the get, then he needs to instruct and declare somebody else to be his messenger in delivering the get to his wife. What happens if he didn't explicitly say that he wants another person to give it over to his wife, but it's pretty obvious from what he did say that he also wants the person who he talked about to give and deliver the get to his wife. For example, Ayotzeba Koylar, somebody who is being led out in chains and being killed, executed by the government for Omar, and he calls out, Kisu get leishti, write a get for my wife. The people who he told to write the get should write it and deliver the get to his wife because it's clear that he wants the get to be delivered to his wife as well. The reason why a person who is about to die might want to divorce his wife is in order to escape the obligation of yibum. In general, if a person who is married dies without children, there is an obligation for his widow to marry the dead man's brother. The dead man's brother has a mitzvah to marry the widow. 
there's a process they can go through in Basin to escape this obligation. But if they don't do that, then she's actually forbidden to marry anybody else. So in order to allow his wife to escape this situation, he might want to divorce her before he dies. Beers amazing, Misha says that in that case, it's clear that he means that he wants them to write to deliver the get as well. Chazuloymar, they later on changed that which they had ruled, and they said that even somebody who sets out on a voyage across sea, or he goes in a caravan across the desert, he is about to set off on a dangerous journey that he might not survive. So it's clear from the context that he wants the get to be delivered for, to, to his wife as well. The fact that he didn't say it is because he's possibly nervous about his trip. Rabbi Shimon Shizuri, Rabbi Shimon Shizuri says, Afam Sukon, even somebody who is dangerously ill, the same applies there as well. Wooden poles that have metal hooks coming out of them that were made in the town of Ashkelon that broke. However, the, there are now pieces of wood and some of them still have a metal hook that exists and is still attached to the smaller pieces. The Mishnah says, These small broken pieces are still able to become Tome, even though in general a broken item cannot become Tome. Since these still have a hook attached to them, they can still be used for certain things, and therefore they would be able to become Tome. Hamaber, a pitchfork made of wood, the Hamizre, or a winnowing tool, the Hamagov, or a rake, the Chemasik Shalreish, or a wooden comb used for one's hair. These all made out of wood, and even the teeth at the end of these tools are made of wood. But one of the teeth, one of the pieces at the end of this tool, one of the tools breaks off. And he replaced it with a metal tooth. Since the teeth at the end of these tools are considered to be the main part of the tool, as soon as one of the teeth is metal, we can consider the tool to be like any metal tool, in which case it would be able to become tome. Wooden utensils are not able to become tome unless they have the ability to hold and contain things. This is not the case, however, with metal, and therefore as soon as some of the main part of the tool is made of metal, it would gain the ability to become Tomei. The Rish says, they would be able to become Tomei. Be it as it may, with regards to all of the laws that have been taught in our Perak, in our chapter, since Mishnah Base, so this includes many of the laws with regards to Tavul Yoim, and the laws that were taught in the last two Mishnahis that have not got anything to do with Tavul Yoim, Yeshua said with regards to these laws, the Chachomim, my teachers, introduced a new novel rule, and I haven't really got an explanation to answer to somebody who asks me about these laws because I don't understand them. I don't argue against them, I just don't understand the reasoning behind them that if somebody were to ask me about them, I would not be able to explain.